Yeah, well, you know, the, the narrative behind that is actually the bulk being um, sort of the energy to stand up against climate. So we're building this sort of campaign where our athletes can can use it as a as a platform and, and as a as a mark, I guess, to stand up against um, against sort of this uh, lack of sustainability in sport. On the podcast today, we're talking to Hilo Athletics co-founder Michael Doughty. We're finding how they've brought their product to market in the midst of a pandemic and how they're building their brand using a bit of hustling skills on the marketing side. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, where we talk to leaders from across the industry and bring you some tech news. Good morning, uh, Akish. How are you? Morning, morning. I'm good, thank you. I'm very well, very well. You? I, yeah, good, good. Are you familiar with Whamageddon? Whamageddon? No, but is it something to do with Wham and Christopher's music? I love this, right? No, this is this is genuinely brilliant, right? Um, and people are doing it, and they're raising money for Great Ormond Street, or Great Ormond Street are like uh, partners, so it's it's got a really nice thing about it as well. So, Wham again, proud to partner Gosh Charity to help bring a little Christmas cheer to children and families. So, this is all for a good cause, right? These are the rules. First rule: the objective is to go as long as possible without hearing Wham's Christmas classic last Christmas. Second rule: game starts December first, ends midnight December twenty fourth. Third rule: only the original version applies. Enjoy whatever remixes and covers. Fourth rule: mm-hmm. as soon as you recognise the song, you're out. Bonus rule: post on social media with Whamageddon hashtag when you get hit. And P- P- PVP, whilst you can't, uh, whilst uh, we can't stop you from deliberately sending your friends to Whamhalla, the intention, uh, the, the the intention of this is that it's a survival game, not a battle royale. So don't be a dick. <laughs> I think this is brilliant. I think this is brilliant. I, just, I, I don't know how you can get to the seventh of December without hearing Last Christmas to be perfect. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think how many times I've heard it already this weekend. I think I heard it a couple of times in the car uh, whilst yeah. driving this weekend, um, and also popped out on Friday and was in a restaurant. And I'm sure they definitely had it playing in like the the reception lobby area exactly. of this restaurant. So yeah, you got to do what unless unless you are you know shielding and you're inside your house where you can choose what you listen to yeah i think that's the only way that you could probably get away with it i think and even then i had magic on earlier which is 100 percent christmas now yeah yeah jesus uh, i've heard i've heard um uh, stay another day so many times um uh, uh but uh they they actually gave a warning before playing wham that if you were playing wham geddon uh you had a three minute warning Right. So, okay. Unless you've got a DJ that's aware of it, then again, yeah, yeah, you've got the radio on. Yeah. Switch it off. Um, yeah, no, it's crazy. I think it's everywhere, isn't it, really? Um I like it though. Really? I like I like the idea that, that people it's I I like quite like the idea that it could be kind of battle royale style, last man standing. True. True. Gotta be honest though, haven't you? Gotta be honest. Very true. No one Very no true. one's gonna know if you accidentally hear it in a shop and then just don't tell people. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> big fan of that. Like it, like it. Uh right. <laughs> That's got no relevance to anything else. Uh today's interview though is with Michael Doughty. He is the co-founder of Hilo Athletics. Uh we are banging the branding and sustainability drum with this one. So have a listen to the interview. Myself and Nikki shall be back with some commentary afterwards, and then we'll have some news later on in the show. 
So today I'm joined by Michael Doughty. Michael, you're one of the co-founders of Hilo Athletics, which on the face of it might not seem like the most uh, normal kind of target uh, conversation for a technology podcast, but I was keen to talk to you for it on a number of different fronts and we will come to, uh, I suppose, how technology can help your business. But do you want to first of all explain to us who or what Hilo Athletics are? Yeah, so in, in short, Hilo's um, the sustainable sports brand. Um, what that means is we make um, products in a better way for planet. Um, and our mission statement really is athletes for planet. So we, we aim to use sport to inspire positive change for, for, for climate, to, to change mindsets. And, and yeah, that, that's really sort of um, yeah what we're trying to achieve. Why? Why? Like, there's a lot of athletic brands out there, and some of them have started to kind of incorporate some of this mission status or, or kind of uh, purpose-driven aspect into their brands. I noticed that, uh, for for example, uh, Sosoni, I can never pronounce the name right, but they've, they've started with the moniker of Run for Good. And I know that's kind of rare, but was it that you just didn't see stuff from Nike, Adidas, whatever else that was that was slanted at this kind of direction? Yeah, I think the genesis of our idea came from uh, a conversation between me and me and my friend at the time, Jacob, who's now my co-founder. Um, my background, I guess, which is relevant, is as a, as a professional footballer. So um, we were sort of having a chat around, I guess, changing consumer habits, and we've both been believers that consumer spend is 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 really a huge driver of change, and, and business can take sort of the world forward. Um, and he asked me um, sort of one day when we were having a chat, sort of which brands I subscribe to in, in the sports space. Um, and obviously that sports space is pretty evangelical with regards to supporters. You know, are you Messi? Are you Ronaldo? You know, Adidas, Nike. You don't wear an Adidas top with a Nike short. It's like really got sort of um, ardent supporters. But yet I never really felt that in tune with, with, with those brands. Um, because I've sort of always been passionate about sustainability and, and sort of the outdoors and I never felt their communication around those kind of subject matters that prevalent. So that, mm. that was really where we thought there was an opportunity just because, you know, as a sports brand, you can achieve such incredible um, community and following. Um, and if you could bring together from a brand level, this, climate narrative which is incredibly powerful and, and important and this sports narrative to kind of inspire and push that climate narrative you could have a real impact and, and drive a lot of change um, and I don't think unless you're holistically doing that bottom up you can truly achieve that message it's interesting that you say as a professional athlete none of those brands kind of resonated with you but I suppose when you get to those higher echelons of sport how much control does the individual athlete have over their over their image because so much of it is controlled right now by clubs and if a club has a time with a certain sponsor I suppose that then impacts on the players that might not be the case at just below that absolute highest level but did you have as much freedom or do you think players have as much freedom or athletes in other sports for that matter as they might want because even an athlete if they if they've got sponsorship um you know that sponsorship is what is what enables them to compete as a professional. And I suppose they might not have much bandwidth to go outside of that. Yeah, I think if you look at the market, it's, it's really oligopic in terms of sports brands. There's, you know, five to 10 probably, but really five who dominate mainstream sports and are huge mm. in size. Um, and that's because the barriers century are quite high from a business level. Um, so as an athlete, there isn't that much, uh, I guess, 
opportunity to try. You're sort of, you know, if you're doing well, you're you've got pretty much a a brand offering of, of of four or five. So, you know, my experiences of it was that these brands are, are phenomenal. But when you get to that type of scale, how do you achieve those interpersonal relationships with the people that you're working with? How do you really share that message and make the athletes an extension of you when you're when you're that big and, and those businesses are all phenomenal um in what they do on, on certain issues but in particular on on planet and uh, you know and climate um, something that I, I i really care about and cared about as an athlete i didn't felt that being one of these athletes for these brands i was essentially an extension of that of their message um or a message that resonated with me so look you, you've talked a little bit about creating something that's a bit different um what how how is hilo athletics what specifically have you done to make your brand and your product different from what's already out there so obviously everything we do is for planet you know as a team um from a product level every bit of comms that we put out there is for planet that's the one anchor um so that's the simplest um differentiation point that that we have Mm -hmm. to other brands um what that means is that that we focus um, as a business on on sort of three main things. Um, one of those is materials. So when we explain the product to people, we're not changing the architecture of a shoe. You know, feet have been their way they've been for for uh, billions of years or whatever um, since since the beginning of time. What we're doing is is um, is changing the materials that they're made with. So similar to a house, we're not making the house out of concrete. We're making out of wood. Um, as, a, as an analogy then we focus on circularity so where we can't bring fully natural materials because we have to we have to um, use some performance materials um, we want to own the product cycle so we deal with the end of life issue so what that means is that when the pro- when the customer is done with that product they can send it back to us and, and, and still be part of our supply chain and ecosystem and then the third one is is, is carbon so as a, as a brand at the moment we're focusing on our on our emissions um on our um, global warming potential so we sort of um we don't just offset to zero we offset to zero and beyond so um first of all what we do is try to isolate how much carbon we're creating reduce that amount and then um after we've tracked it you know inevitably every brand produces carbon um we then offset that number to zero and beyond so the three main things to think about when when well what we think about as a brand internally is is materials, circularity, and, and carbon. So one of the re- one of the angles why I thought this was really relevant uh, was around the kind of the responsible leadership piece and, and responsible leadership in tech and unintended consequences of some of the products that you're building is is one of the key issues in the industry at the minute. And we had a, an episode of uh, recently where we were talking to Ripple about the unintended energy costs, and, and this relates directly to what you were saying of um, of the fintech industry and finance uh, and the huge amount of energy it takes to mine for bitcoin in in uh in fact like which is far out outweighs the amount of energy used by a country in any given year but people don't think about those things and i suppose for you there's a there's a similar thing that some of those big brands that we were talking about they've got huge supply chains that i suppose when you buy a trainer off the shelf you don't necessarily think what's the impact of how this has got to where it is today, right? And I suppose it ties in again with single-use clothes or, or the, 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 be, the beginnings of the conversation that people are having around the cotton industry. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think as a brand, you know, 
we're aware that humans will consume, um, and and obviously that's the nature. I you know I consume as as a customer myself. It's just can we consume better? So you know some of the big brands, you know, are trying to do great things, but they're oil tankers. As you mentioned, they'll they have global supply chains making millions of of, of, of pairs of shoes per year. Um, and and that's incredibly complex. So our innate um, advantage is this ground up approach where we can consolidate our supply chain. We can make decisions with planet front of mind. Um, and as a business, that's that's essentially what we're trying to leverage. Um, because not only do we think that's going to sort of give us this unique um, advantage in the long term when sustainability becomes a mandate um, across the board, but it, but it. But it's obviously the right thing to do, right? When you look at the science of of climate change. So look, you, your when when did the when did the organisation or sorry when did when the brand when did the brand launch as something that you could physically buy? Three months ago. Okay, so yeah. you have no choice but to be an e-commerce business, right? Sure. You can't get your, your your footwear in a shop. You can't have someone pass it in the street and go, "Oh, that looks different," or you know, it can't be labelled vegan um, on a shelf. In in Foot Locker or whatever, and someone go, well, that's that's unusual, and and kind of get interested from that point of view. How are you getting the brand in front of people and growing that brand identity and following? It's a lot of hustle. Um, you know what that means is sort of um, relentless messaging of people and, and trying to grow your awareness through just through just energy. Um, we did a couple of sort of projects at the beginning, which I think have landed pretty well. We did this pre-launch campaign whereby. Um, we created um, a shareable asset and incentivized um, our sort of early community to earn rewards, aka discounts, to share that asset amongst their sort of friends, um, which got kind of a certain amount of virality. Um, and then, it, yeah, it's using our athletes. That's our that's our kind of um, USP is this sort of athletes for planet. When you compare us to other sort of sustainable footwear brands. Um, so I've got a network of sort of athletes that we've been working with who really care about what we're doing and, and um, want to share that. So recently, Patrick Bamford, who's, who's, who's was signed with us, um, scored a hat-trick in the Premier League and did Yeah, the, the, the fact is, is <laughs> the fact is career's kind of gone from the perennial journeyman to all of a sudden he's scoring lots of goals. That can't hurt, right? <laughs> yeah, and the fact that when he scores, he's um, doing our um, Bolt logo as his celebration. Um, Very nice. Yeah, well, you know, the the narrative behind that is actually the bolt being um, sort of the energy to stand up against climate. So we're building this sort of campaign where our athletes can can use it as a as a platform and, and as a as a mark, I guess, to to sort of um, stand up against um, against sort of this uh, lack of sustainability in sport. So those are kind of the few areas that we're looking to punch above our weight. We don't have big marketing budgets. Um, we'll obviously look. To scale some some spend online um, as and when we get to that point, but it really is a lot of hustle and trying to be creative and, and punch above our weight. And I do like the fact that you know, looking through the athletes that you've got on your roster, you know, someone like Sophie Eccleston, who won't be a household name, but you know, f- women's cricket, T Twenty, you know, someone who's a real star in that sport, but not not on the platform, I suppose, of, of the Premier League, but will reach a different audience and and probably young young girls and women who who might be interested in this but otherwise might not be, you know, absolutely loads of women are, are interested in football, but it's a it's a different audience, right? Yeah. And I think that's where we sort of thought we could punch above our weight um is is to find athletes who nec- who might necessarily um be in sort of high um high volume 
categories where um, there's a ton of, uh, I guess, appetite from big brands. We wanted to celebrate some of these high growth sports like women's cricket, um, work with these athletes that that we know are the future, um, both in terms of, of what they're doing, but also in, in, in sporting categories, which are growing exponentially. Women's cricket is a phenomenal is a phenomenal product and um it's only we're going to only going to become more and more um kind of consumed um you know on sky and all of these other platforms so that was our that was our sort of focus was to see how we could kind of navigate through a very very um, competitive space but also provide athletes with something slightly different hmm. Look, I think it's a fascinating user case for anyone who's trying to build a brand and a and an identity in this current kind of post-pandemic world. I suppose from your perspective going forward, at the minute you you create running shoes, right? Uh, and it's it's but you've you've got a, a roster of sports stars that are athletics, yes, but football you mentioned, also rugby, cricket. Are there plans to have a slightly wider range and and provide footwear for other types of sports, or is running kind of where you're focusing your your particular footwear at the moment? I think anybody that knows footwear knows it's incredibly complex to bring a product to market and do it well. So to go too wide in your product offering too soon would be would be a would be a, a failing of ours, purely because the product itself is is very good and very functional, very comfortable, um, and hits a lot of the good uh, touch points. But a founder who brings a product to market and says it's perfect is lying or they brought it to market too late. There's that great saying, you bring a perfect product to market and you're too late. And that's that's so true. So for us, it's really about saying sort of linear with our focus on our running shoe, um, making that as optimized as possible and then growing from that platform. We want to be known as an, an incredible running shoe. Um and then as we as we build that sort of trust and that uh, credibility within our customer base and within our athletes, then we can scale from there. But to try and be too bite off more than you can chew too early is is probably the death knell. So look, if someone's a casual runner or someone's a, more than that, someone's an enthusiastic runner and they go go out several times a week and and they they are say they are vegan or or they're flexitarian and they're looking for something that's more sustainable, has less of a carbon footprint, you know, yours is yours yours ticks those boxes. What's the best way for them to to go and get hold on the product and give it a go? Get hold of the product rather and give it a go. Yeah, well, we sell online at highlowathletics.com. Shameless plug there. Um, but that's the only- <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what is a platform like this, if anything but, right? Yeah, that's our only point of sale. So, And it will be, yeah. you know, hopefully for a long time. Um, it's one that we can, you know, build learnings and build a direct relationship with our customer. So if anybody wants to sort of try us out um, and, 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 of course, give feedback um, and be part of this, this company that genuinely is trying to, to make a difference. Um, but anybody who started anything knows that that you need resources to, to, to build true impact and true scale. Um, so yeah, if you want to, if you want to shop Hilo, then go to HiloAthletics.com um, and we'd be very, very, very happy. Perfect. Well, look, Michael, it's been fascinating to talk to you. It's, it's, uh, I think it's uh, really interesting, obviously, <laughs> to to launch what you're trying to launch in this current climate but also at the same time really relevant for the, for the world and where we're at right now so i'm sure it'll resonate with a huge amount of people i do appreciate you giving up some time to have a chat with us thanks david right so uh akish um patrick bamford scored again on uh saturday night didn't he he did he did great finish as well to be fair but it was a very good finish yeah yeah we don't need to talk football on this um <laughs> But yeah, he scored. And also, up until this interview, I didn't realise what that celebration meant. 
There you go. To be completely honest with you. And I remember seeing it on the first day, I think, um, because Leeds were the first team that played in this year's Premiership and yep. they played Liverpool. He scored maybe one, maybe two goals. And I remember him doing it and thinking, oh, I wonder what that celebration means. Um, didn't really realise until I heard this interview and I was like, right, that's what it is then. Um, and yeah, very, very impressed, really, um, for someone like that to, to kind of, I guess, just bring a bit of um, bring a bit of attention and, and kind of drive out a message of, of sustainability and obviously, you know, within his field. Um as well, which is which is very very good, and unless I, I guess unless you are a Leeds fan or a Hilo Athletics kind of follower, and you kind of know what they are and what they do, you probably wouldn't know, i.e., someone like me. But the fact that then you go and maybe you know kind of listen to this podcast or do a bit of research because there is some stuff online about it, um, then it makes you kind of realise you know how strong the brand is and and kind of what they're looking to do, which is great. What, what I love about it is they talk about the fact that, you know, they've, they've got to hustle. They don't have a big marketing budget. Mm. Um, and uh, they wanted athletes, you know, athletes for planet who really bought into the message. But it mm. also, it kind, of, it kind of, using it in sports celebrations, you immediately get a huge audience. And so I might be like, what is he doing? Mm. And it, it kind of ties in with the whole kind of Fortnite generation thing, isn't it? Because footballers, a few years ago, they did like Fortnite celebrations or whatever else. Mm. And that helped it, that game kind of push its way into public consciousness. So it's a really clever kind of simple thing of going, right, let's get some influencers who truly believe in our brand. And let's let's be honest, Patrick Bamford, um, yeah, he's pretty high, high profile. But really, in terms of the Premier League, he's not a... He's not box office star. And yes, he's got eight goals this season. But as, as I said in the interview, he's, he's kind of been a journeyman until this point. Mm. Uh, but, um, it, you know, it's, 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 you, you can also then go, well, look, you know, this isn't, this isn't someone who's just being paid a lot of money to do something. He will really genuinely buy into this. Mm. Um, and I think, it, I think it's brilliant branding and marketing. And whilst, yes, this, there are large elements of this interview that don't really relate to tech. Branding, when you're a startup and you are in the tech uh, um, ecosystem, is important. And hustle and ideas and originality are really important. And it's brilliant to see examples of that uh, and, and and give people ideas about how they can they can use that kind of that influencer um, brand uh, brand awareness piece in a slightly different way. Mm, and I think we've talked about it quite a lot within you know the last few months about new new upcoming organizations brands how they can set themselves apart you know how the consumer behavior has changed over yep. you know kind of the, the the recent months and with the return of let's use patrick bamford as an example with the return of football with the return of you know a lot of things uh, i.e the premier league and him you know kind of i guess scoring as well right so Let's be honest, that's the first thing. He's got to put the ball in the back of the net. If you don't, he can't just run around the field doing a, a Bolt logo, which, I mean, he, he probably could, but it'd look a bit weird. Um, yeah. and, and as militant as I think the Leeds manager is, I think he won't be playing many more minutes if he starts doing that without scoring. So I think um, I think with, with those guys, in order to have him on board and him actually driving that message, um, without fans in the stadium, yeah. so it's not, it's not like... You know, he'll score at a, at a packed Ellen Road and, and 30,000 fans will start Googling on their phone. Oh, what's a Z meet, right? So we're all watching it on TV. It's all behind closed doors. There's a lot of, and there's a lot more online content of football at the moment because of, you know, the COVID kind of um, kind of rules and, and that sort of thing. So I think based on that, 
there is probably a, a kind of, you know, there's probably an area that they are using so, so well. Um, and because he's not your Agueros, Harry Canes and Rashfords of, of the world, you know, he will almost go go a little bit under the radar in terms of, um, you know, actually driving that kind of message. Um, and you don't have to go through layers and layers of people and get authorizations and all these sorts of things. You know, all these kind of sports stars are like, they're all very well protected. Um, mm. And I think what Hilo are doing is great. And in terms of especially the message in terms of sustainable, driving the brand awareness, but also within the middle of a, a global pandemic, I think, I think they're doing really, really well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Great. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we've spoken there a lot about football, but let's not forget, you know, the the angle of women's cricket. Uh, they've got mm. rugby stars there. They've got athletics. So so they are reaching out into lots of different pockets and different demographics and groups. So, yeah, no, I, I think it's it's brilliant guerrilla marketing um, yeah. and making use of their network. From a product point of view as well, there's some great messages there. You know, don't go too early, too, uh, too wide, rather too early. Um, mm. It's not perfect, but if you're perfect, too late to market and about building trust and credibility and being able to scale from there. Again, you know, that is just good common sense um, approach to, to, to developing a product. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, I think, I think with these guys, you know, what they're showing is they're showing pure kind of brand passion, pure kind of brand kind of knowledge or, or, or just having a bit of a, a you know, a real creative sense um they're not relying on huge algorithms you know they're not relying on all these kind of cambridge analytica or data science kind of bots and you know who's firing out triggered messages to a group of people not large amounts of instagram kind of following or influencers that sort of thing but they're just you know they're very open to kind of having these athletes or people within the field who can say look yeah we care about your message you know let's let's partner up let's do something they seem you know um, yeah. seem like nice nice people so and we, yeah, we've well. you know we've talked long about kind of responsible leadership it's really important that if you're going to have this message about um planet first that it's got to be authentic and it's got to be credible you know yeah. just talking about a credible uh, audience um they didn't sell products on black friday and not because they didn't feel that people should avoid shopping entirely on black friday there's obviously that case that there'll be some people who look at it as an opportunity to kind of get christmas shopping done at a, at a cheaper um price and, and obviously household expenses are strained this year but yeah. they kind of said look we we don't want to add to the fast consumerization kind of uh trend we want to say no on black friday um mm. you can still find out about hilo but we're not going to make any sales and you know that's brave because yeah most startups, you know, they they only launched three months ago, would be looking at that as a brilliant marketing push to get sales, to grow the company, etc. But actually, they're making sure that their their message is credible. I'd I'd probably argue if I was if I was the the owner of a of an athletics brand, and I started three months ago, I'd say Black Friday. That's where I'm gonna, you know, kind of make sure most of my revenue for the end of the year comes in, right? Yep. Because you trigger everything towards that, all your marketing, all your ads, everything like that. And for the fact that they've made a quite bold move and gone, actually, no, because we want to keep on with our message and not necessarily cram everything in and, you know, the effects of the environment. of what, Even when it comes to things like, you know, whatever production, deliveries, um, you know, these sorts of things, right, shipping costs or whatever, um, that they've actually taken a bold move and gone, no, you know what, we'll, we'll be all right. 
you know, yep. we'll, we'll just we'll we'll ride it out and and kind of see what happens. And then that, I guess, is they're just relying on organic growth, um, getting their message out and and kind of making stuff happen, which is brave but bold, but highly highly commendable. Yeah, I think. Look, I mean, it, t- it ties in with lots of lots of the key themes that we've had when we've been speaking to Ripple and the Energy Web Foundation and Cummins recently. Uh, it's great to see uh, a new brand in something that you might not necessarily expect, kind of being you know a fashion brand and footwear and athletics, uh, mm. applying some of those uh, same principles. And yeah, fingers crossed, it it continues to grow as a brand, and uh, uh, and and more and more people do work out what Patrick Bamford and others are doing in other sports. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about companies that are now writing reports tailored for AI readers. Now that we're officially in the run into Christmas, why not think about giving a gift with a story behind it? Alive and Kicking are using football as a force for good and helping to support mental health education across Africa. You can do the same by giving someone a football from aliveandkicking.org forward slash shop. Now the footballs come in retro 90s kit designs. So go have a look and give a unique gift that will help make a huge difference to more than just the person who receives it this Christmas. Welcome back to the show. Uh, A recent study suggests that lengthy, complex corporate filings are increasingly read by and written for machines. Okay, so bear with me, Akish. Let me explain this very quickly. Yeah. Um, this is uh, written by uh, John Norton. So he says, My eye was caught by the title of a working paper published by the National Bureau for Economic Research How to Talk When a Machine is Listening Corporate Disclosure in the Age of AI. Basically, it talks about uh, the the files uh, that have to be submitted to uh, for, for, for basically American public companies um, for the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, and 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 it basically he talks about the fact that they're kind of corporate nerds' delight. Guides are everything, um, and the kitchen sink data, and you can spend hours and hours and hours. These these reports are huge. Okay, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But the increasingly worrying thing is that um, researchers found that. Um, machine and AI readership is motivating firms to prepare filings that are more friendly to machine parsing and processing. So in other words, machine readability measured in terms of how easily information can be passed and processed by an algorithm has become an important factor in composing company reports. So a table uh, in a report might have a low readability score because its formatting makes it difficult for a machine to recognize um, it as a table. But the same table could be uh, receive a high readability score if it made effective use of tagging. So basically, they are drawing down on words that would be seen by investors as negative words. They are drawing down on emotion. They are changing their their tone of voice to suit machines rather than humans. So they're you know, avoiding uh, words that are listed as negative and criteria given to text reading algorithms, adjusting tone of voice. Um, really scary. Because it's a brilliant example of how um, the technology is massively altering human activity. You know, mm. it's, it's a technology arms race, but it's making it very skewed um, to get a competitive advantage and making this data almost impenetrable, even to people who are in the know. So basically it means that 
So, so what does it mean? As a human, you won't really grasp it or you won't really understand it. It's just made for, yeah, well, for well, the, 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 the It's not even written with you in mind. It's written, yeah. to, game, written to game algorithms. Right. So just and figure these reports, out. Yeah, these reports are kind of used by investors to try and work out which companies to invest in. And increasingly, it's just, well, how can we get an algorithm to make sure that we look good mm. to, to that machine? Yeah. So when it comes to like trader research, I guess, or, or kind of markets or, you know, price points to go into and products to back in the market, I guess that's that's what they're doing, right? So so what does, what does that mean for a, for a trader? You know, does that mean that their job could come null and void? What does it mean for research assistants, for analysts, you know, within large corporate banks or, you know, does that, does that mean their, their job could be redundant in 10 years, 12 years? Well, I suppose there's, there's less expertise there, perhaps. It's all about yeah. game. It's, it's like, you know, um, it's like organisations trying to game search uh, mm. search engine page rankings it's mm. less about it's less about actually doing a good job and, and understanding whether or not something's worth investing in and it's more have we got things down in such a way that the machine who's reading this will go yeah okay and and yeah. the problem is, is highlighted by the fact that um let me get this information right um so corporate k uh, corporate 10k and 10q filings increased from 360,000 in mm. 2003 so about 165 million in 2016 and 78% of all downloads appear to be uh, to appear to have been triggered by request from a computer so it's just vast amounts of data yeah, and uh, an example of how tech is changing human behavior yeah that's crazy that's crazy and it just goes to show how I don't know how how clever how clever technology is, and now it's just replacing replacing us. Or, or you know, the, wor- the worry is with big data, it's supposed to give us insights that humans can then use to make informed decisions. Whereas yeah. this appear to have just kind of gone, no need for humans at all, machine to machine. Here's yeah. a load of data. This is where you should invest. And I think humans will just not be able to comprehend why. And you're yeah. talking about too much data for that to be an insightful interaction but also and and this is my worry is the money that will be invested will be coming from humans or the capital will be coming from organizations which inevitably will be run and 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 kind of managed by humans so if you're in charge of x amount and that is then being traded or invested in in wherever and that's only been done by a machine and for whatever reason look let's say if it comes off everyone's happy right the machine's Mm. the best thing and, and and the people involved they laugh into the bank, but when it doesn't come off, then who takes responsibility? Is it the, is it the person? Is it the machine? Do you blame the algorithms? What do you? And do? You can see it being potentially disaster. You know, if 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 you've invested a huge amount of money and then it, it all goes wrong and you don't know why, yeah, you're you're really up shit creek. Exactly, exactly. And uh, to be honest, I wouldn't want to try sleeping with that hanging on my head. To be honest, so just as well we're doing this thing. Eh? <laughs> It's an interesting one. Uh, you know, a cautionary tale that whilst technology is fantastic and brilliant uh, and unlocks a lot of value and potential, shouldn't just rely on it. There needs to be, mm. you know, like we were talking last week about cobots. Yeah. Um, it's about the interaction and the interrelation between technology and humans where the real value can be extracted. Yeah. And, and then I think what we talked about last week was just about how it should be with humans, but also powered by humans as well. Um, yeah, not to say that machines are not clever, but I think, come on, we need to be a bit 
be a bit, you know, sympathetic or empathetic. I don't know. Um, need, need need the nuances that that humans add to. Yeah, exactly, hundred percent. Right. Well, Akish, thank you for joining me today. Uh, we no, will be no, back no. on Friday. Everyone out there, have a lovely week.